what in the world is going on? We look around us and see the confusion of the days in which we live. We note what's going on medically. We note what's going on politically around us. We find ourselves asking the question, what in the world is going on? For the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at what God's word says about the future. The, the Bible and tomorrow's news. How do these crazy things going on around us, how do they fit God's plan for his world and for our lives? And so we're going to be looking at that. Uh, we're going to look particularly for the next few weeks in the book of Daniel and see what Daniel says about the Bible and tomorrow's news. Have you ever faced a demand, a totally impossible demand that you could never stand a chance of fulfilling? What do you do when faced with a totally impossible demand? How do you face it? How do you respond to it? Now, Daniel speaks to us concerning that in chapter 2. Now, you need to realize Daniel is neither a prophet nor a preacher. Never went to seminary, never went to prophet's school to learn how to do those things. He's a politician, a politician who seeks to live his life in a way that would glorify God a way that's different than the people around him. Times are hard. He's living in a pagan culture. More difficult days are yet ahead, and he's been called by God to announce what God is going to do and, and to speak of some very scary things that the people of God are going to go through in the coming days. Daniel wants to prepare God's people for the frightening days ahead. His main message throughout the book of Daniel is that the faithful always triumph in the end. It's not always on our timetable. It doesn't always feel like it. But the faithful always triumph in the end. The first six chapters of Daniel show historically how that's true. Daniel takes a look back in time from the standpoint from which he is speaking. He looks back at some times when the faithful have triumphed. Some of the most familiar stories in the Bible are included among those historical examples he gives. The three friends of Daniel and the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. Stories we know well that we've heard from our earliest days from God's word. 
these are historical examples of how the faithful ultimately triumph. Now, in all six of these instances, those who are faithful survive. They live. And this book is not telling us that when the people of God are faithful, they will never die. We see in history, we see in biblical examples that people who are faithful frequently do die. But they still triumph because death isn't the end. And ultimately we triumph. So Daniel is about to reveal some scary, uncertain times coming in the future. Some of them in Daniel's lifetime. Frightening future for Israel. Things don't look good. But he wants us to understand that God's people can trust him in the midst of scary, uncertain times of turmoil and suffering for our Lord's sake. In pagan lands and in hard times, God's people ultimately triumph if we remain faithful. So these six examples demonstrate that God is in control of history, even in the midst of pagan lands. And the obvious lesson to us as we look at these instances, what God wants us to understand from these things is that if he could protect the faithful in the past, as we look to an uncertain, scary future, we can trust him then also. Because the faithful will triumph in the end, though it may not feel like it. Doesn't guarantee we won't die, yet the faithful triumph. We want to look tonight at chapter 2 of Daniel, the second example that Daniel presents which is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now I need to observe here that most people who talk about Daniel chapter 2, if you begin to mention Daniel 2, particularly if the people you're talking about it to are familiar with Daniel chapter 2, the first thing that comes to mind is the content of the vision which Nebuchadnezzar saw. And we get wrapped up in, involved in those matters that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. But in reality, that's not what chapter 2 of Daniel is about. Only 15 of 49 verses deal with the content of the vision, what Nebuchadnezzar saw. That's less than a third of the chapter deals with what Nebuchadnezzar saw. The rest of the chapter, 34 verses, deal with the challenge Daniel faces and how God intervenes and protects the faithful and how the faithful triumph in the end. The emphasis is on the miracle here, not on the content of the vision. 
So we're going to look at the content of the vision, but we're going to sort of summarize it, look at it briefly, and focus our attention on the challenge which Daniel faces and how God works in it for his glory. In spite of the impossibility of the king's demand, God intervenes to save his faithful servant. The king's impossible demand is laid out for us in the first 16 verses of Daniel chapter 2. He begins, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. <coughs> then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I've firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was, and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces, your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you don't tell me the dream, there's just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I'll know you can interpret it for me. Now, no king had ever asked such a thing of his counselors. It never happened before. And so they respond to him, verses 10 and 11. The astrologers answered the king, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they don't live among men. So only the gods know, and they aren't talking. So the king responds, the decree is firmly fixed. There is no getting out of it. Now, a couple of historical notes here as background to what's going on here. Notice Daniel isn't part of what's taking place up to this moment. He's in his second year of school, still in school, and he doesn't take part in this dialogue. 
They don't consult him. He's just a youth, a student. And the teachers don't know the answer. How is the student going to be able to answer the question that the teachers can't deal with? The gods would know, but they won't tell. You see, this is the problem with gods that people make with their own hands. They can't reveal the mysteries, nor can they do anything about it. They're not capable of doing that. They can't reveal the secrets. So Daniel has a chance here to step forward to show the pagan community that Yahweh, the true God, is different than their gods. So he asked for time to talk to God. In verses 17 through 23, the dream is revealed to Daniel. Daniel and his friends take their petition to the Lord because if God doesn't solve it, they have no hope. The pagans are right about one thing, no one can do what the king asks. Not even Daniel can do what the king asks. God reveals it to him. So Daniel praises God because he's revealed it to him. Now notice that Daniel praises God for the answer before the king responds. Before he talks to the king, he already knows that God has given him the right answer. That's his confidence in God. That God has shown him the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, and Nebuchadnezzar would recognize it. So he praises God before the king accepts the answer. Daniel acknowledges that God is the only one who could do it. Verses 20 through 22, he tells us that God is the one who changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. So Yahweh, the true God, reveals mysteries that men can't guess, and that pagan gods don't tell. Perhaps more accurately, pagan gods can't tell. If this is the God we serve, then Daniel's lesson here is we can trust him when we have to deal with impossible circumstances with issues that are too big for us to handle. Verses 24 to 45 talk about when the dream is revealed to the king. Verses 24 to 30, Daniel goes to the king. He goes first to the captain, tells him he has the answer. The captain runs to the king to tell him Daniel has the answer. And the king can't believe it. Now that tells us something about what's going on here. 
historical scholars who've studied this passage acknowledge the probability that these astrologers, uh, fortune tellers, and so on, were servants of Nebuchadnezzar's father. Nebuchadnezzar isn't so sure about their loyalty to him. And so he decides on a strategy to clean house and get rid of these guys and establish his own astrologers and others who will provide counsel for him. This is a trap that he set with the intention of getting rid of them. And now Daniel kind of throws a monkey wrench in the works. How's that for a theological explanation? Sort of messes up the king's plan. But the king really doesn't believe Daniel can do this because nobody could do it and he knows it. So when Daniel comes to him, verse 26, the king says to Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? He couldn't believe it. And Daniel gives an appropriate response. No, he can't do it. And in fact, his response to the king is going to sound very much like everybody else's response to the king. Verse 27, Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. Daniel can't do it. No magician or fortune teller can do it. Now, think for a minute about what's going on in the king's mind. You can just see the king, as Daniel says the same thing everybody else is about to pronounce the death sentence. When Daniel says, but there is a God who reveals mysteries. Daniel can't do it. But his God can. Yahweh is different than the pagan gods. Daniel serves a God who reveals mysteries. God doesn't intervene because Daniel deserves it any more than we would deserve that kind of miracle from God. Daniel doesn't deserve it. But God intervenes because he's the God who knows it all and who controls it all. And so in verses 29 and 30, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that God has shown him what's going to happen, the future. So verses 31 to 35 describe the dream. What does Nebuchadnezzar see? And to summarize the description given us in those verses, Nebuchadnezzar sees a great image, like a frightening, strong man. The head of the statue was made of gold, the chest and arms 
made of silver, the stomach and muscles of bronze, legs made of iron, feet made of iron mixed with clay. But he saw something else. A rock comes into the picture in verses 34 and 35. Then it says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So the rock struck the feet and the entire statue was shattered as a result. There was nothing left. The rock turns into a huge mountain and fills the earth. So what does it mean? Verses 36 to 45, Daniel interprets the dream. What does it mean? The statue represents four kingdoms that arise that will control history. Now this isn't just my invention. And as we go through Daniel, we're going to look at a number of passages where there's differences of opinion about the significance of what Daniel tells us. But in this particular vision, Daniel makes clear that these are four kingdoms. The head of gold begins with Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel tells him, you, O king, are the head of gold. But it's a kingdom. So that's looking at Babylon. Following that kingdom, where God gives Nebuchadnezzar dominion over the whole world, another kingdom arises, and the second kingdom will be weaker. Chapter 7 is going to show us that that kingdom represents Media Persia, which today we know as Iran, became the next great kingdom to take over the world. The third kingdom that will rule the earth represents Greece. And finally, the fourth kingdom will be stronger than all of them, and that represents Rome. But the part of iron continues beyond the fourth kingdom. The fourth kingdom is divided and becomes weaker, forms alliances with other kingdoms, remains strong but not as strong as it was in the beginning. It's diluted by these alliances. So there's going to be these alliances with many other nations, but not a union in one united kingdom but an alliance of kings. Verses 44 and 45 
explain about the rock. Verse 44 tells us, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. God's kingdom will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms, bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. The kingdom of God endures forever. Verse 45, this is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So the final kingdom crushes all of the other kingdoms. The beast, or, or the statue's image and its power are destroyed by the eternal kingdom, which comes from God and conquers all others. And we're told that final kingdom will endure forever. So Daniel concludes the story saying, God has shown the king what's going to happen in the future. God reveals the nations that control history. From their day, until the kingdom of God is established on earth, until the millennium. Nebuchadnezzar responds to Daniel's revelation of the vision. And Daniel and his God are honored. The faithful ultimately triumph. The king honors Daniel. In fact, if you go through and you might want to do this sometime. Go through those six first chapters of Daniel and see each chapter has a story. In every one of those, the story concludes by honoring the faithful and giving glory to God. A number of them deal with Nebuchadnezzar. They deal with other kings of Babylon in Daniel's day. But they all end in the same place. The faithful triumph and God is glorified. So Nebuchadnezzar honors Daniel not because of the content of the dream but because of the impossibility of doing what he has just done. God must be with Daniel. And if you're a smart king and you know that you figure you better get him on your side. And so he honors Daniel. Verse 47 tells us God is glorified. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. This God must be the greatest of all gods. None of their gods could do anything like this. So he promotes Daniel to a high position and his three friends with him and demonstrates again that the faithful ultimately triumph. Now there's several things for us to ponder as it relates to our day, the, the turmoil in the world in which we live, the uncertainty, 
that we all have about what's going to happen tomorrow, the questions, the uncertainty we face. Here's some things to consider from this story. However uncertain these things may seem to us, God knows the future. Secondly, God controls history, even in the times in which we live. The God who controlled the history in Nebuchadnezzar's day, Daniel's day, still controls history. He is in charge. We can trust him. Third, we see that God answers prayer. Maybe not the way we expect him to. But we see how when the faithful call out to God, he responds and answers prayer. God does the impossible. He can handle what we could never do. And God still reveals mysteries. He may not show us everything the future holds, but he shows us through his word and through the work of the Spirit in our hearts He shows us that he is working for his glory. How impossible are the circumstances we face? Are they as impossible as the circumstances Daniel faced? God is able to hear our prayer. And do the impossible for us too. Whether the impossible involves COVID. Whether it involves the political situation in this country or in the United States or in Europe or wherever it may be. The political economic situation could cause great turmoil and fear. And it's probably worked through them in Daniel's day. Hasn't died. He's still there. He still hears our prayer and is still able to do the impossible for us. Whatever issues we face, we can trust the God who reveals mysteries. He knows what tomorrow holds. He knows what our future holds and our future is in his hands. So if we know this, how will we face impossible tasks. Daniel moved ahead in quiet dependence on God and we see four steps Daniel followed that I believe we would do well to imitate. The first is don't panic. when When Daniel heard what the king was proposing everybody else panicked. Daniel didn't panic. When we face impossible circumstances, we don't need to panic. We need to trust the God who reveals mysteries. Second, we can trust God to handle it. When it's beyond our control, we don't know what to do. Circumstances seem impossible and who knows what tomorrow's going to bring. We can Trust God to deal with it. When God answers us and shows us what he wants us to do, do what he tells us. 
trust him and obey what he shows us he wants us to do. And finally, when God answers, give him all the credit. No limit to what God can do when our only concern is that he receive glory. What impossible task lies ahead for us as we face the future? We may not even know what this week will bring. We don't know what the future holds. As we look ahead into our future, don't panic. Trust God to handle it. Do what he tells us. And when he's done his thing, give him all the glory. Our God is big enough to handle whatever impossible situation we may face. We can trust him with the confidence that those who remain faithful to him ultimately triumph. Father, we are grateful for that confidence. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We live in confusing, scary times. Who knows what we may face, even this week or in the coming months. But we know that none of this will take you by surprise. We know that you control history, you control our lives, and that you can use us in the midst of the uncertain times, the scary times we may face. You can use us for your glory. Father, we pray that as we face those times, uncertainty in our lives, that people who watch us would see that we trust the God who reveals mysteries, the God who controls history, that he controls our lives, whatever that may mean, and can use us for his glory. And Father, we pray that as people watch our lives, see our confidence in you, that they would be attracted to the God who is in charge, who knows the future, who reveals mysteries, and who works in our lives for his glory. So use us in the places where you've placed us. Use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.